All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain West Flyer football podcast. Preview season never ends, Matt. It's always here. Ongoing. Until it's not. MWR.com if you want to find all the stuff where we're chatting about, all the previews, early stuff, NIL stuff, which is amazing and good for everybody's getting that cash money. But we're talking Fresno State Bulldogs this week. Matt's favorite team in the Mountain West. Is that fair to say? Two-time graduate, so, so yeah, that's fair to say. It better be, right? If not, there's a problem. No, I like the Mexico. I don't know why I do that voice, but sorry. Yeah. Also, apologies to Lobos fans, too. <laughs> they need to pile on. But we're talking Fresno State, the team of choice for you, which we all have our favorite teams, because that used to be our old little slogan about what teams we like and don't like, because it's all mm-hmm. of them. But Fresno State, they, this is a theme we discussed all season, all season, Matt. The West Division, not easy. No. Colts. Trying. Unless you're UNLV, and then it's going to be trying to stay competitive to games and teams. But what? Do you, so what do you have to say? What do, how do you want to start with your Fresno Bulldogs from last year? How they lost to New Mexico? How they came out of nowhere with Ronnie Rivers? You want to pick the high points, the low points? So, you, so talking talking about last year, talking about the 2020 season with regards to Fresno State football, there's no real like clean way to talk about it because it was like a confluence of a number of things that happened where. You know, depending how you look at it, you can sort of look at it as a tale of two seasons or, or you know, if you want to include the off season, which you know, obviously every team had to deal with COVID. But Fresno State, I believe, was like the last FBS team, if not, you know, at least among the, the handful of the last FBS teams to like meet in person before everything was kind of shut down late in the summer. And then despite all that, you know, despite having to retool everything um, about the process of gearing up for a season, you know, they still came out. They still went three and one. They had, you know, their both of their in-state rivalry games canceled because of COVID. Yeah. And then after that, you started to see the after effects of like, you know, the team's own struggles with COVID, both in terms of like people who, who may or may not have actually contracted the virus or even just those who, you know, had a lot Contract. of... Con- yeah, contact tracing, things like that. Because, like, when you look at the the starting lineups, basically leading up to that Utah State game, so, like, the first four games and then the two games they played afterwards. So, you know, after after the two-game pause, you know, they, were, they, they were missing three of their starting offensive linemen. You know, by that point, Ronnie Rivers was nicked up at the end of the year. Yeah. You know, Jake Hayner was running for his life on seemingly every other play and, and <laughs> finding ways to make plays despite it more often than not. Um, you know, they had to replace, I think, both of their safeties at some point, um, all while trying to integrate a, a, you know, a number of young players on both sides of the ball. And even despite that, they still weren't that far away from winning both of those games down the stretch either. So, like, you know, you, you look back and you say, yeah, they were three and three. But that doesn't really do justice to like just how close they were and, and maybe how emblematic the Bulldogs were of kind of all the strangeness that surrounded the 2020 season for everybody because they were right there. And then, you know, for reasons within and without of their control, they, they weren't in kind of short order. But then you, know, you look at the fact that they've got what 86% of their returning production coming back for the 2021, which in the Mountain West, this has come up again and again throughout all these team preview podcasts. Not necessarily an exception, but yeah. it puts them in a position where if things go right, and you look at this team on paper, you know they've got one of the best quarterbacks in the conference. Mm-hmm. They've got maybe the best running back in the conference behind him in the backfield. Most they've versatile got, back, I would say. 
They've got literally every skill position player, wide receiver, tight end coming back. They've got pretty much everybody coming back on defense. And so, you know, if they can correct a couple of really glaring flaws from last year, which we'll get into throughout the course of this preview, this team, this team is not necessarily a dark horse to win the Mountain West, in my opinion. They are, they are going to be a major player one way or the other. So as for dark horse, you're correct with Fresno State being a team that can win the division. I still think it's Nevada and it's not close. And everyone will hear by the time we get through my win-loss projections where I have Fresno State at, but Phil still has them fifth. Other places have a middle of the pack. I... The reason I'd say they're a dark horse, they're, it's kind of in between a dark horse and a, they're not the favorite, but it's not out of the question if they win it. But if you look at the West Division, if, if everybody has their best season, Nevada could win it, San Diego State could win it, San Jose State could win it, Fresno and even Hawaii could possibly win it. Mm-hmm. So it's not a dark horse, but it's going to be a freaking slog fight to win the division, even though I like I've Nevada so much higher. So I yeah. guess that's kind of a dark horse, but not really. Like, I kind of said that in some podcasts I was on recently, but it's... It's hard to say because it's true, but it's not true because the West is so good. Mm-hmm. Like if they were to, if they were to finish seven and five and fifth, that may not be a bad season because losing to they have USC. Well, we'll get their schedule, but like Nevada, San Jose State, all these close losses. But yeah, they, I'm, all I'm going to say now it's kind of spoiler, but they have a chance to win it all. But we'll see. And it really all starts. It really all starts at quarterback. J.K. Anderson's pretty good. I've heard of him. Not I'm bad. starting. To, I'm starting to think that, like, with the success that they've had over the last several years with transfer quarterbacks, that they may not they may not bother to try and develop a freshman ever again. Don't don't so don't wish that. I mean, I know. I mean, they, they did bring in a, a very highly regarded quarterback, Jalen Henderson. But you know, Hainer, I think, is maybe one of the more important players anywhere in the conference, just by virtue of the fact that you know when he was on the field, and even when he was taking shots, especially in, in those last two games against Nevada and New Mexico. You know, guy is a playmaker. Like let's, oh, let's yeah. start there. And so, Accurate. yeah, definitely. You know, he completed what sixty three percent of his passes, sixty four percent. You know, eight point seven yards per attempt, which was better than Carson Strong, better than Nick Starkle, better than oh, I think it was the best such figure in the conference among you know, uh, yeah, better better than pretty much anybody else in the conference. You know, fourteen touchdowns against just five interceptions, and. You know, the fact that he took so much, like, it, it wasn't an air raid offense by design, but, you know, the fact that he also had more attempts per game, you know, than, than anybody else in the conference besides Strong, I think says a lot about, you know, maybe not necessarily the workload that they want to handle or that they want him to have, but at least they know now that they have the capacity to say, well, okay, we need a game-winning drive or we're down by 10 with, like, 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter we need you to go out there and make some plays. I think you'd be hard-pressed, you know, given the situation, given the players around him coming into 2021, to find a quarterback anywhere in the Mountain West that you would trust to bring you back from that kind of deficit. They had, just FYI, looking at the yards per reception last year, mm-hmm. out of the top 16, they had four receivers who had at least 15 or more yards per catch. Yeah. Or, sorry, 13.69, sorry, just basically 14 yards per catch. Mm-hmm. And they all return. And they also get, we'll get to them later, but Ty Jones, Washington transfer, who's a pretty big high school recruit, is going to join the fold as well. Mm-hmm. Like nobody else, a CSU somehow had two. New Mexico had one. Nevada only had two. Wyoming just had one. Like it's not all, all over the board. Like they were by far the 
like you said, not, it, it even cut Ronnie Rivers almost 10 yards per, per catch in the backfield. Their receiving group, like who he's throwing to, there's a no shortage of options of who Jay Kaner could throw to. And they're all reasonably downfield threats. Like over 13 yards a catch, who wouldn't want that? Well, I only had one guy at 15 and a half yards. Mm-hmm. CSU was the next best at two. Boise State had C.T. Thomas, and Khalil Shakir didn't even get that. Oh, he was right there, sorry, 13.83. They had two, but nobody getting 15, 16, 17 yards per play had more than two guys, and they had four. And he could still swing it to the backfield. He would still throw to whoever he wants. Like, there's their offense and what they do with Kalen DeBoard, like him coming back. Like, look what he helped with Indiana when he was there at the OC for basically a season. He comes back. Look what he did when he came on with Jeff Tedford, how well the offense turned around in those short times with Mark Missing Marion. Yeah. Like, he is, like, is it, like, is he maybe the best offensive coach in the conference, him and Jane Norvell? Yeah. Like, who else is, like, like Hawaii's reasonably good, but it's these two guys, right? And maybe, I mean, like, I think, I think you could also throw Matt Mummy into that conversation as well, as if you're talking about coordinators. Yeah. Because I think, you know, right, because That's I think I meant, yeah, yeah. it's worth giving a shout out to Ryan Grubb, who's you know, not only the OC, but the quarterback's coach as well, I believe. Totally. And, you know, he and DeBoer go way back. You know, they both worked together in the first stint under Jeff Tetford a few years ago at Fresno State. And then before that, they were together at Eastern Michigan. You know, both of them were really integral to that turnaround. Um, and then before that, they were both at Sioux Falls on the NAIA level. So these are two guys who know exactly what they're doing. And, you know, in Hainer, they have a guy who can be kind of the master operator and and help this offense perform peak efficiency. No, I, I agree. Like, the, the, I just came to mind, like, how good an offensive coach he could be. Because, we, I like, everybody knows how most people feel about Nevada with everybody returning. But... We haven't done our coach rankings yet this year because we just haven't gotten to it yet. Mm-hmm. But you look at overall, it's there's a lot of up and comer guys. A little like you have him there it's with San Jose State, where they're finally get going. Jane Norvell's finally not up and comers, but guys who are finally hitting their stride and doing well. Like yeah. Craig Bull's fine. He's not not the he's just not. Well, I don't want to be trash on him, but his trajectory has been very slow. And this year could be another one of those good years, like he had with Josh Allen. But all these new newish coaches are shooting up, like. We'll see. We've got experienced coach Todd Graham, who's been around and done well, Troy McCalhoun at Air Force. We'll see what the new coaches do, like Danny Gonzalez, Arroyo, and, um, oh, shoot, um, Andy Alvarez. Yeah, well, Blake and him, too. It's like, it's an interesting mix. And at this point, you got to put DeBoer near, like, near the top, right? Like, I don't see why not. Overall, like, what he's doing offensively, the turnaround season part of it, even the last year wasn't great overall, but there's a million injuries. Like you said, like, they tried to force Ronnie Rivers to get that record. He just wasn't able to get it. He was too too injured. Yeah. And, you know, the other reason I say Hayner is one of the more important players in the conference, especially going into this fall, is now we don't necessarily know what the offense will look like if, knock on wood, he goes down with injury. Because last year's backup, Ben Woolridge, entered the transfer portal, ended up at Louisiana. Yeah. And, you know, now behind them on the depth chart, you've got basically, a, you know, two or three freshmen who are basically, who are battling for the backup job. Logan Fife, you know, Jalen Henderson, who I mentioned right at the onset as far as, you know, bringing mm-hmm. in a, a transfer quarterback or bringing in a freshman quarterback, excuse me. So if, if it's really important that I think Hainer stays healthy, but if he does, I think he's, going to be in the conversation as like an offensive player of the year candidate. Yeah, who would you pick, him or Ronnie Rivers, if you had to choose one guy from the team? Oh, that's tough. I mean, you, I would 
I mean, I'm tempted to default to Rivers just because he has the track record. And yeah. other other than you know seeing his numbers fall by the wayside late last year, which, like you said, was just mostly a symptom of the fact he was banged up. Mm-hmm. He's been doing this for a good long time now. And folks, you know, just go watch the air. Just go to Las Vegas Bowl, Las Vegas Bowl versus Arizona State, and you'll have your questions answered. Yeah, I mean, he's he's within striking range of going down as the program's all-time leading rusher. You know, he's going to go down as its all-time leading touchdown scorer. You know, he's a guy who can do it all. Like you mentioned, you know, his running prowess. He also had 27 catches, you know, 265 yards, two touchdowns through the air as well. So, you know, I think, yeah, quarterback is the most important position on the field. And unlike the quarterback situation, Running back depth, I think, is a lot more secure if Rivers was was going to get banged up. Like, I don't know that there's necessarily anybody else in the, in the backfield who would be quite as, you know, all purposey in the same way. But no. Jordan Mims came back from, from being injured himself a couple of years ago and had a had a nice kind of you know year as a, as an RB two. They still have Javon Bigelow who was in a couple of years ago from Wyoming. You know, he saw like a, little, a tiny bit of playing time last year. He could be a factor. You know, Jordan Wilmore is in from Utah as a running back. You know, Malik Sherrod mm-hmm. could step up as a freshman. So they've got options back there. But, you know, you, you talk about one quarterback who can do everything well versus – I mean, I don't know. Now I'm, now I'm thinking maybe I should just say Hayner is more important, at least for this year's team. It's like how do you think who's the best player? What happens if he goes away? That's, yeah. Depends how you look at it. I would say I would the, say I would say the drop off from Rivers to everybody else in in what I would assume would become more of a running back by committee is a lot less steep than it would be from Hayner to a freshman. Oh, I, no, I agree. Yeah, um, I'd still I'd go. It's just running Rivers. It's not hard. He's your mm-hmm. the best line. Just because I think he could do so much. This is not discount Jake Hayner or anything, but this quarterback position he he gets kind of not that he's lost in the shuffle, but you have Carson Strong. You have Hank Bachmeyer is going to his third year. There's a couple of guys you're looking around like, okay, what's Nick Starkle going to do? And so he's not that he's lost, but like when your record's just so-so, and you have I don't have his numbers in front of me, but no like huge 450 yard plus game, three touchdowns, no picks. Like, not it's not he's just it's bad to say he's efficient because he's much better than that with all those guys I mentioned rattling off 14 yards per catch when he leads the conference in yards per attempt. He's much more than that. Clearly you forgot that Nevada game then. Well, is that the one game he threw like 400-something yards? Yeah, he threw 485 yards on 65 pass attempts. And he did have two two touchdowns. Okay, I just – I have his exact numbers in front of me, so I appreciate you bringing that up. Point being, the record – okay, it's like this, but I could work with a guy who played in the NFL and played at University of Utah. He has all these records throwing against 600 yards against Air Force, all these records, but it's like – whatever, you don't win, so it wasn't as enjoyable for him. Mm-hmm. And it'll take time to catch up for most people to say, oh, he's really, unless you're like an NFL guy, which he was, like a third-round pick, I think, or top-100 pick. But for Jay Kaner to get that respect, it goes with you playing well and your team winning as well. Mm-hmm. You, cause you, who cares if you throw for 500 yards every game and you're not winning? And you do pulling a, uh, who was it from Arizona? Nick, who's the Arizona quarterback who kept throwing a million yards but kept losing? Nick, was it Nick, Nick Foles? Foles. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> so like he kept throwing to thirty for all these yards, but never win. Like you're good, but NFL is whatever he's doing now. The Eagles and where's it? The Bears? I don't know where he's at now, but uh, Colts or something. I don't know. Somewhere in the NFL. But point being, the Wizards need to catch up to your performance on the field to get more respect. Mm-hmm. 
So that's, I think, where he is at, where people know he's pretty good and really good, but is he going to be, like, the guy or be the best quarterback in conference? I don't think he is, but to get respect and get in that conversation, Fresno needs to win a bit more. Yeah, and so before we talk about the receivers then, I think it's more important that we talk more about the offensive line first because you know, I, said it, I said at the onset, like, this team could be a major player, but it's also a, a team that isn't without its flaws or its, or its potential problems. And so while last year it was really COVID that, um, that, that kind of derailed the effort, especially late in the year, this time around they could be breaking in as many as three freshmen on the offensive line. Which is a not, I would say, not an easy task, especially considering that, like, yeah, despite kind of the the offensive pyrotechnics, like like Hainer and Rivers are really good, but then you look at what the what the line and, and the and the offense around them was able to accomplish, and they were only average, for instance, by like line yards per carry as a team. You know, they were slightly below average by opportunity rate, so they weren't getting Rivers to the second level as often as they could. Um, you know, they were right around the national average in stuff rate. You know, so they were they they weren't they weren't bad at getting pushed back or stopped at the line, but they also weren't great about forcing the issue as well. And then most importantly, they were 105th nationally with a sack rate allowed of 8.7 percent. That's got to change. Yeah. And I think you know having maybe the, the two most important positions on the offensive line intact is going to help. Because Dante Bull, when he was on the field last year, was you know he was pretty solid at left tackle. So I think they have that covered if Matt Smith stayed healthy last year. You know he set at center, but it's the other guys who could feasibly start elsewhere on the line. You know Dante Adkins, Elijah Carson, uh, you know Mose Laval, Tyrone Simpson. You know all four of those mm. guys are either freshmen or sophomores. And so you know how well those guys develop and, and come together as a unit is going to do a lot to determine what the offense's ultimate ceiling is. Yeah, because we saw at the end of last year where Hayner was running around, no rivers, offensive line banged up, new guys rotating in or out. If they're consistent, that's what they need. But young guys out there, like it's like what we said, like you got the experience, but last year is an exception for half these teams where if you play only four or five games, how much experience, are, even with the year back, which is great down the road, but for the immediate year in 2021, How's that only a four, five, six game schedule when you played a lot gonna really help you out when yeah, your yeah. Case in point, you. New Mexico had eight sacks in that season finale. They did. And so <laughs> eight so like I said, I, I think it helps that they have, you know, at least a couple of, of experienced pieces, but like when you when you compare them especially to other offensive lines throughout the conference, you know, San Jose State's got all five of their starters coming back. Boise's got like four or five. Uh, you know, Wyoming's got like an entire two deep with at least a handful of games starting experience. And so, you know, that's the kind of thing where, in in some respects, Fresno sort of they're they're starting maybe from a potential disadvantage if they can't get it sorted yeah. out early. So, what's your confidence level of the offensive line then? Like, I mean, I think you know the fact that. That Grubb has figured it out in the past, you know, like if you recall like the 2017-2018 Bulldogs in particular, you know, not only was, was Marcus McMarion really effective as far as avoiding turnovers, but, you know, that was an, an offense that didn't make a lot of mistakes. And that included, you know, things like pass protection, just opening running lanes that weren't necessarily explosive, but, you know, enabled the offense to just move the ball methodically if they needed to. And so I, I feel okay about it, 
I think they burn maybe at least a little bit of a benefit of the doubt, but if you're looking for like a, a potential red flag, you really don't have to look any further. He's, uh, it's a, on the offense, okay, that makes sense. Offensive line being the place where if there's something goes wrong, it could go wrong in a hurry. It, it could, yeah. All right, so we get to one of the wide receivers next. Yes. Which we kind of already went through, like the four, the, uh, I should pull them up again, but they are, it's it's not weird, but they don't have like a, a Dubs or a huge guy, Jared Smart at Hawaii or T.T. Thomas or Dante Wright or Khalil Shakir. They don't have that guy, right? Do they? Like, who's the you guy? Like, Jalen Cropper. That. I would Jaylen say Cropper. Ask, ask Utah State fans about how they feel about Jalen Cropper. Well, I mean, I'm, I was getting to him, but my point would be, like, if you're going to name off uh, five receivers, he may, he may be number five. You know what I mean? Like, Trey Walker, Cole Turner, all these guys, even tight end. Like, he's up there. I'm not knocking him. And it, took, and it took him a little while to get going, too. Like, he finished, he finished the year for, with 37 catches, 520 yards, so that, that works out to roughly 14 yards of catch. Yeah, but look at what he yeah. look at what he did down the stretch. Do you have that game log? I'm about to, but I get your point. Like so, that's so what I'm getting at. Like, so I'll just I'll run it down real quick because I think it it gives you a sense of the, what he can do to really electrify this offense. Against Utah State, ten catches, two hundred two yards, and three touchdowns. Against yes. Nevada, seven catches, one hundred seven yards. Against New Mexico, 12 catches, 134 yards, and a touchdown. He is a difference maker because he can get down the field and make plays in space. So what happened in the first half, 2-4-2 catches? Like, what changed? Not that you, you need to remember from last October or Halloween. I mean, I think it That's... speaks to the fact that the offense was so deep that, that mm-hmm. Hainer was averaging almost three. He was averaging three yard, almost 300 yards per game without necessarily needing to rely on one guy. Like you mentioned it earlier, they had four guys last year, despite only playing six games that had over 20 catches. You know, Rivers was one, Cropper's mm-hmm. another, and then Carrick Wheatball and Josh Kelly, who, you know, both of whom averaged over 15 yards catch themselves. You know, that's that's four quality targets right there. And, and it, oh, by the way, I think pretty much every single person who caught at least one pass last year is coming back at both wide receiver and tight end. So even if you go further down the depth chart and, and look at an offense that isn't afraid to go four or five wide, you know, Eric Brooks could be in line for a bigger role. Jordan Mims could catch a few more passes. Same with Magdalena. You know, even, and maybe they re, maybe this is when they finally reincorporate the tight end. We don't, I mean, we don't know, but they they've, don't got need all, it, really. they've got all three of their guys coming back, including both Juan Rodriguez and Raymond Powell's. So it's, it's a unit that is stacked. From top to bottom, and I mean like literally top to bottom. And they bring in Ty Jones from Washington. You seem to like him. I, I do. Me, just spoiler. Me and our buddy Logan just a few dust day. We both put him in our top fifty. Okay. I may amend it, but near the end because he went to like went to high school here in the city of Utah. Saw him play. Saw stuff he did. I just think the talent. I don't know what happened to Washington. It just didn't work out after one year. But if he's anything close to what he people thought he could be or what he could be, like he could be like not this year, but maybe I'm always in love with the transfers. Like Nate Carter was it? No, what's his name from? Who was not UCF? Um, Nate Greg Myers never really lived up to the hype. I thought he would be at CSU, but I think like the talent. Like he's a former four star guy. Last year, like how can we judge last year of how good or bad some people are at sometimes? It's hard. Yeah, even though we're. Fawning over what Romeo, what Dubs did, what Jay Kaner did. We look at 
certain players from like San Jose State, Nick Starkle, and all these guys, Bailey Gaither, Tyler Nevins, all these guys, Calvin Turner, Cole Turner, all these guys. So it could be just an anomaly where it just didn't work out because how it worked out during the pandemic year trying to play college football as a true freshman. So that's why I'm giving a little bit more credence to maybe him being a guy, former four-star guy, top 250 recruit, could come in. Not that come in, they have enough depth, they don't need him, but he could be that guy like one game where he can go for like six for 95 and a touchdown. I think that's a chance with the way Jay Kaner throws the ball around as we discussed going through what Jalen Cropper has done. Well, so I here, here's that, what he brings to the offense that nobody else I like, talked about. as well, so. Here, here's what he brings to the offense that no one else I just listed a minute ago does. Yeah. He's six foot four. Yeah. And he's nice. 213 pounds. Which, yeah. you know, when you, when you line him up opposite of Cropper or when you, when you shoot, when you want to move Cropper to the slot or put weak ball in the slot, like, you know, not to say that Fresno State is full of small guys, like, you know, yeah, Cropper's six foot and 170, but, you know, weak ball's six two, Josh Kelly's six two. But like, if he could be like, let's say the Randall Grimes for this offense, yeah, that could be, like you said, kind of the, the missing piece that puts the offense as a whole over the top. Yeah, it, it, there's a million things that could be done. But if you get a guy who comes from a different, whatever, Pac-12 school, what do you do high school and all that stuff? Um, I just think the depth is, it's going to be a bonus, you know what I mean? That's oh, all oh, it definitely will. I mean, there, there's, a reason, there's a reason that Bill Connolly projects this as, a, as almost essentially a top 50 offense. I think it'd be higher. They could be higher. I, I think, as much as I'd like um, Nevada's offense, this is more versatile to what they can do. Because Nevada's offense, like, again, look what happened in that Hawaii game. I hate to bring them to Nevada every chance I get, but it's, I think this is a good point here. The Nevada game, they out schemed them. They don't have, you have Tortal, they have Devontae Lee, they'll have Elijah Cooks this year, Mail Change, but all, and then Cole Turner. Like, they were, it wasn't just chuck it deep, but a lot of what it was was throwing deep down to dubs getting Turner in the fade, and running the ball. They didn't really have enough versatility or multiple weapons. They have really, 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 really good weapons, but they don't have as versatile what Fresno State has. The Wolfpack also don't have the same offensive line questions that the Bulldogs have coming in. And I, I should mention, I made an error. I think of a different receiver. He was, He's not a freshman. He played a good amount in 2018, but that's all he played. I think of some other guy who was from Utah and went to Washington. He played for a couple of years. So I apologize for that error. People were yelling at me. So I'm like, this doesn't seem right. He's somebody else. But the, the one year he did have, like in 2018, 31 receptions, 500 yards, six touchdowns, solid. Like, that's 16 yards to catch. Another kind of sort of deep threat a little bit downfield, mm-hmm. what, he, what he did a couple of years ago. So for some reason, I thought he was a true freshman. My mistake on that. But he's... We'll see what he does, see how he can do. But it's just another extra talent. And like you said, Fresno State's done a pretty good job of transfer guys coming in and doing quite well. So that's kind of why I think watch for that name. He may not be a seven, a, even a 50 reception guy this year. So maybe I should take him out of my top 50. Maybe I'm being too uh, judicious. It's okay, to be, it's okay to be foolish. I'll allow it. It is. I did notice people, um, you kickers and punters, multiples in the top 50, which I'm not doing any of that. So... Sorry, Ryan Stonehouse. Sorry, Brandon Talton. You're not making my top 50. Uh, anything else on the offense? Or we did, did do enough on Ty Jones and Fresno State receivers? Yeah, I think I think you've, you've man-crushed enough on Jones. I'm just saying, watch out for him. So, defense now? Yeah, let's do it. So, what's your thoughts on the defense? Because it's... Um, 
They allowed New Mexico's fifth-string quarterback to beat them. I'll start there. Um, I think it's safe to say that the defense was was volatile last year. And 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 by volatile, I mean like I I, I went and I reread what Bill Connolly had to say about the defense. And so just to kind of put this in in the proper context, you know, Fresno State's pass rush was awesome last year. Like they ranked third nationally as far as team sack rate. They had a, they had a sack rate of eleven point two percent. Which, if you listened to this preview at this time last year, you kind of already knew that that was sort of one of Fresno State's biggest questions going into the year was the ability to generate a pass rush. Um, you know, check that box off, right? Um, they were, I think, third in passing success rate allowed. They were 13th in overall havoc rate. And so if you don't know the definition of havoc rate, it's just your, your tackles for loss, your passes defended, and forced fumbles divided by the total amount of plays. So they were 13th nationally by that by that rate. But Bill Connolly also said that they ranked 125th in marginal Oof. explosiveness, which, which basically <laughs> meant that they gave up a ton of big – when they gave up a lot of big plays, they tended to give up a ton of big plays. So when you talk about a, 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 a boom or bust defense, that's really what it was, even when they were winning last year. It was a defense that proved it could it could like you know, get its hands on the football, create turnovers or at least turnover opportunities, give the offense up you know chances more chances for success. But oftentimes it was often it was just as likely to like you know give up a big play or like a four play eighty or four play eighty yard drive and see the offense you know taking the field in another two and a half minutes or so. And so I think if you're looking for the other red flag. It's how well is this defense going to progress? Because while they have, I believe, you know, more starters coming back on this side of the ball, there's there's still pretty much at least one kind of pressing question on at, at every level of the defense. So it's so then what's your big concern? Like they like clearly they don't have like just Rice. He's bounced around back at Utah State now. Like what's your big concern for them? Is it just being good enough? Is this a team I'm thinking like this offense might be or this whole team might be predicated on the offense having to maybe outscore teams occasionally? Or oh, yeah, yeah like, because you know, I think if you if you're if you're going to start up front, you know, one of the biggest and most obvious questions is is like how real is that sack rate? Yeah, in only what six games, it's probably both good and not good, but not real. You know what I mean, it's like it's somewhere. It's like when he plays again, so few games. Who'd you play? How many games you play? Who is in? Who is out? These numbers are hard to tell how real they are. And, yeah, and I would and hope the, for their sake that they're more real than not. And you know, and, and unlike San Jose State, which has you know a couple of you know all conference players on uh, at, you know on, on a couple different levels of their defense, it was really more of a team effort for Fresno State last year. Like they had 25 sacks to the team, but no one had more than five. And you know, f- five different players had at least two sacks all along the defensive line. And so all of them are coming back, and it's still sort of a question of, okay, well, can they do it again? But I think if, if you're feeling optimistic, I think what helps you feel better about their chances to at least come close is the fact that, you know, both Kevin Atkins and Kwame Jones, I would say at a minimum, are the most proven quantities on the line. Like, they, they aren't going to flash, like, like you know, they're not going to be a, a maybe a, a pass rushing force in the same way that like a Najira and Araine was, you know, in some years past, but they could get in there and they've been doing this for multiple years now, 
you know, both on the interior and the outside. And so I think you could feel good about that. But on the other hand, like, you know, David Perales, who led the team in tackles for loss last year, what did he, I think he had something like a forced fumble in four straight games or something like that. Like, I don't know that that's going to happen again. And, and further down the line, you, know, you, <laughs> you just, you wonder, like, are they going to get the same country contributions from their role players, you know, like Alex Dumai or, or Isaiah Johnson or guys like that who, you know, definitely played up last year when, when called upon. And so it's sort of like, yeah, the, the, the personnel is there, but can they do it again? Because, you know, finishing third by sack rate, I think, is a very lofty standard to set for any team. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's going to be a lot of things. There's going to be new faces and new people who we haven't seen, like Mitchell L's role players. Like, people need to step up. This team's going to be competitive. Like, if they're not Dark Horse, whoever mentioned earlier, but if they're going to be a team that's going to contend, the defense can't be whatever to bottom third, bottom 20%, like bottom 10%, a 100 or worse SP plus defense in any categories. They need to be, what, 80-ish to balance the offense? Because they could be, they could be not good, but they can't be miserable. That's the problem. Like they need these backup players to get experience, whatever. That's like we mentioned before. You played a couple games. Mm-hmm. They're going to need the sack rate to be real. Would look at who they play in the schedule. They're playing teams that pass the ball. Like Nevada will pass the ball a lot. San Jose State will pass the ball a lot. They play. Um, they played Boise State, correct? This year. Yes. So it's like they probably traditionally want to pass the ball, and so they're going to want to have their defense set up to play against those teams, but it's it not I'm not being rude it's like in a mess, but it's like give me something that I want to be confident. Like the defensive really like you said, eh, I'm not confident here. They're they're okay. They do this, they do that. I just there's gonna be a lot of forty to forty to thirty five games. Oh yeah, game. I get what you're saying. Well it's be exciting, but also do something, tackle, get to the quarterback they need their defensive coaches to coach these guys up and figure out and scheme-wise to when they play Nevada, scheme this one. When they play Hawaii, San Jose State, it might be more of a scheme coaching thing than technically talent-wise. I guess that's kind of what I'm getting at there. Because mm. that's where it might be more beneficial. You visit their players are just okay. Yeah. They're just okay. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> what you need to want to go to today. Sorry, we're kind of bouncing around everywhere. This episode going through offensive defense we're not going all right defensive line linebacker quarterback we're just kind of doing well big I, I think it's worth talking about the linebacker core because like, like i said you know every unit i think has a different kind of question and the biggest question for the linebacker unit is you know how much are they going to get from what looks like it could you know it could skew toward being an extremely young unit you know relative to the defensive line you know all, pretty much every single player we've mentioned before is either a junior or a senior and so they've been around a lot but, you know, it's not out of the question that, like, when 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 William Inge, the defensive coordinator, wants to run his 4-2-5, that they're lining up with, you know, a pair of sophomores um, who saw, who granted, saw a lot of playing time last year, but were also part of sort of like a larger shuffle that lasted all year long. Like, in, in case in point, like Lee Bell Bailey, you know, he started at that, well, I think they call it the Husky position as far as part of the, you know, the defensive backfield, let's say. So he's like the, the Tariq Thompson type player in the defense. You know, he started the first three games, didn't start against Utah State, and then started the last two at one of the linebacker spots. Um, you know, Sherwin King started three games at the beginning of the year, then lost his place. You know, Malachi uh, Langley started or started the last five games. So, I mean, there's – they have options there. But, like, 
you know, one of the other big questions is just like, how settled is it really? Because, you know, Langley led the linebacker, you know, with 25 total tackles. That doesn't necessarily mean he's guaranteed a spot. You know, he, he, mm-hmm. Bailey, you know, maybe King wins a competition in fall camp. Langley, or Langley could win a competition. Or, you know, maybe Tyson Maeva, who last we saw was at Boise State a couple years ago, transferred out to Florida International. It's back in the Mountain oh, West. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe he wins a starting role. So, like, they've got choices. It's just a matter of, you know, finding the best, you know, finding the best pieces and putting them in a position to succeed. Yeah, so when they do the 4 2 5, you only need a couple linebackers, anyways. Yeah. This just, you know, that's what, always a plus. Who's it going to be? And, and, if it's, and if it's the young guys, then they're going to have to prove that they can kind of, you know, hold on to being the, the, the anchor in that middle of the defense. Pretty quickly, I would say. I think so. I think it's just finding the right combination. Like, like you know what I mean? Like, all these guys. So, that's mm-hmm. like, who's going to be the defensive end? Like you mentioned, the guys like David Prills or Kwame Jones. Sacks and TFLs are decent. They have giant, like, Kevin Atkins, like you mentioned, 310. Jeez, huge guy. Like, mm-hmm. there's stuff there that could help in the defensive line and the front, basically the front six. It's – I hope that, like – well, I, let's just say for the best case scenario, like getting to the back of that secondary is legit. That'll help a lot because, like I mentioned, like all the passing teams are playing. If they get to the quarterback, they cause disruption. If they can allow the DBs to play better because there's quarterback has to get rid of the ball quickly or he's being chased forever, he can't make a good throw. I I want to believe that the secondary is for real, but it's still questionable. But I think that might be the whole key of the offense. If that stays relatively close, or excuse me, the defense. If that stays relatively close. I think it'll set the tone for the whole defense overall. Mm-hmm. I that's it's it's simple. It's dumb. It's football. If you win the last scrimmage, you're gonna win games, right? Is that what we can say and say goodbye, good night? Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that's fair. But that's a good point. Like that's what they the, like. It's simple, but there's more nuance in chess moving and playing all these type of games. Mm-hmm. So what about like the secondary? Braylon Lux leading the team of tackles is not good. No, but it's, it's not also great. the four two. But it's also the four-two-five, where you're going to have a D, some sort of DB or CB step up and be like that. Whatever. Do they have a position like the extra linebacker slash? They do. What's it called? And, it, and I believe Justin Houston is the front runner to to kind of hold down that spot, which he did in the second half of last year. So again, it's 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 not like they don't have experience in in the defensive backfield, but this is another unit that could skew young as well. Like, you know, Houston's freshman, Braylon Lux, who, you know, earned a scholarship after playing as a walk-on last year. You know, he's, I believe, a redshirt freshman. And so it's just, you know, I don't, I don't know, like, how much regression in the mean there's going to be. I think it's going to be really important for these young guys to just grow up in a hurry. Yeah, and... Again, look who they're playing. They go up in a hurry. Like, look, we'll go through schedule, but like I mentioned, they play Oregon. They play um, whatever you think of UCLA. Who cares? But they play Nevada, San Jose State, Hawaii, a lot of three teams. So that's probably the area that that needs to be the that might, might be the most. Uh, what am I getting at? Like, not I don't say the worst. It's a bad term, but needs to prove itself sooner than later. Yeah, I think so. Because I mean, especially if the sack rate comes down. You know, yes. that's a handful more plays per game where, you know, quarterback's going to be able to have a little more time to make a play. And if that happens, you know, it's it's not like this this defensive backfield can't get its hands on the football. Like, you know, Lux had, I think, five passes defended last year. 
You have Evan Williams at safety had a couple. Wylan Free, who's gone from cornerback to safety and now back to cornerback, I believe had you know uh, several of them as well. So it's not like they aren't able to create opportunities for themselves. And I think you know, to that point, you know, on the season, despite the ups and downs, they still only give up a, an overall opponent's completion rate of 55.7%, which is not nothing. It's like, it's that's pretty mm-hmm. good. That was the third best figure in the conference. It's just, you know, making sure that it all comes together and, and kind of solidifying what I think we saw more in the first half of the year than we saw down the stretch when, again, some things within their control, some things were out of it. But I think there's no doubt that the defense was kind of playing on its back heels down the stretch. So what's your like best case scenario for the defense? I think they could be above average because I think enough things went right for them last year to to suggest that they've got a pretty good foundation or, or at least, you know, if not necessarily one built on multiple all conference performers. There's not a lot of weak links, I guess I would say. It's so that there's there's just enough youth kind of getting their first full run. And, and maybe having a normal season, a normal off season, excuse me, will help mitigate some of the some of the ups and downs that we saw last year. But I think it can be an above average defense because, in some respects, it was last year. It's more more. It's about kind of fighting too much regression and the things that went extremely well last year, while also shoring up a lot of the things that went wrong. Which, in a nutshell, just comes down to limiting big plays more often. Totally. That's the thing. Like when they play Nevada, big plays. When they play these deep red teams. Yeah. So what about um? Any last thoughts on defense? Like I think, like if you look at who they can be better than, like being average, will look different in the West Division because who they play. Because San Diego State will run the ball a lot. San Jose throw the ball a lot. Nevada. So I guess average would be most more like what, like kind of a points you give up, the yards per play. You want to be within line of the West Division because if you look, if you're compare them to a Mountain Division team. Like even Air Force, like look who they play. They play to play CSU. We'll see how they do. New Me- like New Mexico is not great. Utah State's TBD. Mm-hmm. So being average is relative, in my opinion, to kind of what's the schedule they play. But I, st- I, but they still can't be like tenth in one category. Like they still need to be in that mix. But average is kind of a loose term, which is kind of the offenses of who they're playing. But I think if they're less they volatile, everybody, yeah, everybody yeah, yeah. internally and externally will be happy. Yeah, just yeah, that's a good point. Don't have this. I was again, don't be tenth in one category and second in the other. Be more in line between, for say whatever stats. Look at you're between third and eighth. Will be good. Like you're, there's some range there, but that's not like second and eleventh. You know what I mean? Or third and twelfth, yeah. or first and ninth. Just kind of get the elevator closer together. So, what do we got for special teams? Because eh, whatever special teams are not special for me. Cause that's lame to say, but whatever. Well, they got they got Ronnie Rivers. <laughs> they do. Who's, who's That's why he's pretty good. I've, I've been I've been told. Um, uh, yeah, I told you that. <laughs> so I mean, I think I think the return game is probably in good hands between him and Josh Kelly, totally. um, who's likely I think to return more kicks than anybody else on the roster. Other than that, the special teams sort of dicey relative to a lot of the rest of the conference because Cesar Silva was. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was 12 of 21 last year, and I don't know how much you can blame inaccuracy on COVID. I guess I would say, like, 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 like lining up to kick a field goal requires a lot less precision than you know having to run like you know having to run an entire playbook with the thing. And so, 
That's, that's yeah. probably mean. But that's sort of how I feel about it. <laughs> yeah, so I think, so I think there's something to prove there. Like, you know, I think it's clear he has the leg. You know, he, like his longest last year was 48 yards, which is good. I think a little more consistency wouldn't hurt, though. And if if they can get, a, you know, sort of back to where they were with Blake Cusick in the punting game, I think it's probably going to fall to Carson King since both of the Fuller brothers ended up transferring out. I think if they can be okay, that's another one of those things where they were below average last year as, as an entire unit. And if they can drag themselves up at least a little bit, you know, that's not the kind of thing that's always going to show up on the stat sheet, but it's going to be really important for them if this team wants to, like, be a real contender. So what you're saying, the theme of the Fresno State is be more consistent? Yes. Everywhere. <laughs> All right. Uh, should we get to schedule time? Let's do it. All right. So their schedule is not easy, Matt, as we can tell. They open up oh, – okay, of course my computer freezes on me. Their opener is against uh, UConn. Oh, I ah, we have to win. <laughs> they go to Oregon week two. Is that winnable? You, have you seen the athletes that Oregon's been pulling in lately? That's got a new quarterback. The quarterback transferred in the offseason, their starter, one of their guys. That's true. But they, but the guy they do have coming back, Anthony Brown, is a former three-year starter at Boston College. He played a little bit last year, too, I believe. Played a little bit down the stretch last year as well with Tyler Shaw, um, gone to Texas Tech. Um, but, I mean, even despite it, you know, even despite him, I don't think they necessarily need him to be, like, an all-Pac-12 type guy because – you know, they're Oregon. They've got playmakers pretty much everywhere else on on the playing field. Like they've got, but they've got both C.J. Verdell and uh, oh, what's his name? Tyson Dye, I believe. Or Travis Dye, excuse me. Hey, you're also missing. They're losing their defensive coordinator. That's true. I'm just saying, Andy Alvarez is not Boise State. Although, although you, you do know who their new defensive coordinator is, right? Uh, I should tell me. Tim DeRuiter. Oh boy, he's the best defensive coordinator that can't be head coach ever again. <laughs> Apparently so. What, what happened? It, I Wait, did Justin Wilcox give him the boot at Cal? No, he just he, he jumped ship. Good job. Go. He's following the Gary Croton path of failing upwards. <laughs> I mean, no. I mean, let's let's put it this like he's a he's always been a very good defensive coordinator. Yeah. Like, let's not let's not sugarcoat that. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you when you talk about Oregon this year, like, obviously, I think, you know, the fact that they have good, if not necessarily elite talent on offense is, you know, one part of the story. But, you know, Mario Cristobal, since he became the head coach, has really emphasized bringing in the, the blue chip defense. And, you know, even though their, their middle linebacker, Isaac Slade Maluia or Matatuia, uh, transferred to SMU, I think, today, actually. <laughs> Um, you know, they've got a five-star linebacker potentially set to replace him, a weak linebacker. Um, you know, they've got a five-star linebacker next to him in Noah Sewell, who you might know as as both mm-hmm. an A. Sewell's brother and, and, and Gabe Sewell's brother, former Nevada linebacker. Um, he could be the best of the Sewell brothers, which is sort of a scary thought. Um, they have the, the number one overall high school recruit, from a couple of years ago, lining up a defensive end in Kayvon Thibodeau. He could be, like, the number one pick in next year's draft if he has another good year. Um, yeah, they, and then they might be starting five sophomores in the secondary, 
but like half of those guys are, are five star guys. And so like this, it's, it's, it's the more I dug into the ducks, I'm like, man, that defense alone should drag them to the Pac-12 title. I would be shocked if they didn't win it this year. So do you know what the line is on this game? Isn't it like 14 or 21 or something already? That's a big jump you're saying between, but it's 20 and a half. That does not surprise me. Take Fresno State in that one, just saying. Too many. I mean, mean, they're not going to win 70 something. Fresno State's got a good offense. Oregon's got an unholy defense ahead of them this year. I know, but they're not going to do what they did to Nevada. Like, was it 70 70 to 3 or something a couple years ago? That's not going to happen. But 20, 20 points, come on, no way. That's Their offense is good enough to score 21 points. We'll, we'll see. I mean, that, that defense is going to be – I mean, I don't really watch a lot of Pac-12 football, to be honest. Um, I might tune in for another game or two just to watch that defense later in the year. Totally. I'll watch when they play Utah. That's why that Pac-12 title game a couple years ago was very, very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess we're both saying Oregon victory, right? Yes. So then we have, do you want your FCS Minute here with Cal Poly? You know what? Admittedly, I didn't get to do a lot of research into Cal Poly. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that they were one of the few teams in the country that didn't play last year. Makes it difficult. So so, <laughs> so, 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 stay tuned to Mountain West Wire because we'll have a first look at them. So, you know, you won't be able to hear it on this podcast. You will be able to read about it at some point in the very near future. Um, needless to say, though, I think Fresno State's going to win that one pretty handily. They should. And then they go to UCLA, to the Rose Bowl. Are you going to make a trick to the Rose Bowl, Matt? Uh, we'll see if I can, yeah. We'll see. TB did have to put you on the spot because you've already been asked about work and life and stuff. Yeah, stuff, yeah. Um, UCLA still has, what, DTR quarterback for a millionth year who's never going to live up to his expectations ever, right? Never. He started coming around last year. Barely. Like, when, when he was on his game, and, and you really don't have to look any further than, like, the splits between the games that UCLA won last year and the games that they lost. Like, when he was on and they were winning games, he was basically, like, among the best handful of, of quarterbacks in the Pac-12. The problem is putting it all together from week to week. You know, like, case in point, you know, in the games that they won, I think they were 3-5 and five, or 3-4 and four last year. Three wins, 68% completion rate, 8.8 yards per attempt, 16 touchdowns to four interceptions. In the, in the games that they lost, though, his completion rate dropped by 10%, and the yards per attempt dropped by two full yards. Consistency is an issue. <laughs> like, like, if he's on his game, like he's going to be a difference maker in the Pac-12. Like, I don't necessarily know that UCLA is going to make a run at the South title, no, but they're going to make some noise in the same way that they did last year. Like, if nothing else, you know, that part of the the Chip Kelly, you know, kind of I mean, his reputation is probably going to to reemerge uh, relative to everything else. I would say because they also still have one of the best tight ends anywhere in the country, and Greg Dulcich. You know, they get a, a really interesting transfer in from Michigan, Zach Charbonnet, who could be kind of the lead back replacing Demetri Felton. And they've got, you know, even if they don't have necessarily the five-star talent on defense, they've still got like four-star talents pretty much everywhere. Yeah. And, and that's not nothing. It's just a matter of, is UCLA going to be ready to turn the corner? 
from week to week and just like be and play at the high level that we saw from them at times last year. I don't know if they can do that. That's what we're waiting. See, that's why I'm picking Fresno State to win. Yeah, I've got them winning that one as well. Because like, it's early on. You said maybe they get it going, but but going back to what you said earlier, I think it's the kind of game where Fresno State's gonna have to win a shootout. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, that makes a lot. That makes a lot of sense if they're off. It's typically like he's not what he was at Oregon because everybody's doing the same thing. He's being kind of stubborn to what to get done, but he's not a dummy. But he's not the genius everybody thought he was because mm-hmm. his offense wasn't hard to pick up and mimic, and defenses change. But I think it'll be one of the better games. But I don't see why why not Fresno can't win. All right, what's next here? What are we going to? Uh, Conference play. UNLV bye week. UNLV at Hawaii. They're scared. Like looking just big picture, they're they road and home schedule. Man, they're not giving any favors, man. No, like, this schedule's is difficult. Like okay, UNLV. Whatever. You meant, I mean, you mentioned Phil Steele picked them fifth, and I think the schedule is the biggest reason why because. Yeah. You know, I think they're going to beat UCLA or UNLV. Excuse me. Think? I think Come on, be more confident. I, th- in that. I think they're going to beat Hawaii on the road. Still tricky, but yeah, they probably should. But then it gets a lot more rigorous in the middle of that conference schedule. At Wyoming, home versus Nevada. At San Diego State, home versus Boise State. <sighs> Is that the fourth, the toughest four stretch in the conference? Maybe of any games. It might be. Yeah. Because even like looking at non-conference, what we've done so far. Nobody has like a very as difficult. Maybe the uh, Nevada, but they have Idaho State mixed in. I hate to bring up Nevada, but they have Cal, Cal, Idaho State, Kansas State, Boise State, but they have Idaho State in there. So that doesn't that kind of mit- limits or mitigates them being that toughest four stretch. But those four games, like even it include Hawaii, because going to Hawaii is never easy, and they're a pretty good team. Mm-hmm. Like when they play Wyoming, it's if you listen to our last show, I have Fresno winning that game. Yeah. But it's going to be extremely close because that defense is obviously really good. The offense, Xavier Valade, um, Sean Chambers at quarterback, the receivers we discussed who are going to have another year. That might be one of the best games of conference. Like it's, I don't know if it'll be a title game preview. It could be, but the way those two, two mirror opposites of those, no, that's stupid to say mirror opposites, just opposites of how the, what their strengths are. If you look at that game, I really probably should pick Wyoming to win. Because if you think about it, the defense for Wyoming is much better than Fresno State. The Fresno State's offense, I don't know, I'm not going to say it's much better than Wyoming's defense, but it can make plays. But the real difference is the Wyoming offense has playmakers like Xavier Valaday and like Trey Hall and quarterback. So I probably, mm-hmm. it's a dumb pick for me now to think it should be Fresno State win, but that's where I'm sticking with it. But it'll be one of those better games. Like all Fresno State has to do is probably score 20 points to win, I think. I mean, I don't. I don't think you're wrong. I think Wyoming is sort of emblematic of when I w- when I was looking at the schedule, and I was thinking about the big picture for this team. Like, what's the one thing that can hold them back? And I think that it's it's any team with a combination of a potentially top tier defense and a functional offense, or an offense that could be above average. And to me, I see maybe I see. Three teams that definitely fit the, fit the bill, and two that, and maybe three that are sort of on the edge there. And so for like the former, Wyoming's the first one. Like yeah. I think if the Cowboys can make it a possession game, like a limited possessions kind of game, I think they're comfortable with that. 
and I don't know if Fresno State would be if, if, if the Cowboys are able to successfully kind of slow the offense down and, and make them work their way down the field. You know, same with Boise State and same for the finale at San Jose State. I don't know. Well, it's it, it those set of games. Like you're right about everything you said. I can like disagree. Like like they play Nevada, probably not a win. Like they go to San Diego State and Carson. Like those stretch will determine their season, right? Yes, has to. I have like it's interesting going through now that we're halfway through all this stuff. Like I'm going back and matching up wins and losses. Fresno State is much higher than I thought to be because I have them beating San Diego State. Mm-hmm. I have them. Talk about Boise State. Go back and listen to that one. I have them losing. Or what I have here. Do we have done Boise State? Yeah. Sorry. I'm going, I, did, I haven't filled up my entire schedule. I did half of it. They're be, they're losing to Fresno State. Like I'm having like Fresno State with maybe the best record, not even realizing it. <laughs> I have not uh, Well, we'll get to a moment. But if you listen closely and can figure out what I'm doing here, man, Fresno State's going to do well in my book here, apparently. <laughs> so, if, so if you listen to the Cowboys podcast, you already know that I picked Wyoming to win that game. You did, yes. Because, you know, Wyoming's got a scary good defense. And like I said, I think if you know, given Fresno State's current potential questions on the offensive line in particular, that may be all, all that Wyoming needs to exploit to be able to tip the balance in their favor. Yeah. If you listen to our Wolfpack podcast, you also <laughs> know that I have the Bulldogs beating Nevada. Mm. And I think, you know, because it's a, te- it's, it's a battle of teams that are likely to finish, you know, at or near the top of the West Division – like it's a, it's a really critical game for both sides. Even even before you start considering the Aztecs, who I think they're going to beat the Aztecs because I don't think they're one of those teams with, with potentially functional offense. <laughs> but I do think they're also going to lose to Boise State at home. I oh man, I'm gonna my so, rent, so that four, that four game stretch I have them going two and two. I'm going three and one. I've been beating New Mexico and beating San Jose State. I have them. I'll step ahead. Winning the West Division right now. More better than winning well, losing one conference game. Even how much I love Nevada. Apparently, I don't know what, what's going on here. I may need to tweak this. I don't know what I'm doing here, Matt. <laughs> so I've got New Mexico. I've got them beating New Mexico. But I also have them losing at San Jose State. What am I doing here? What am I? What are you doing right now? As far as the sort of had Fresno State's number over the last few years, I know. But what am I doing wrong here? I have them at ten and two. The Mountain West is—we've said this every week. The Mountain West is extremely hard to predict this year. It's going to be extremely hard to predict. I'm just surprised I have Nevada behind Fresno State in the the conference. What was the overall record? Ten and two. Losses. That's that's within the realm of possibility. I have them going eight and four. In five and three in conference. Looking at what I probably should do, like maybe I probably will make adjustments at the our big kind of big preview, go through it all. But like, it's weird when we do it this way. Everybody, it's like okay, week by week, I want to match them up. But when I get to, when you get to a point where it's like team seven, team eight, team nine, you're kind of locked yourself in. And I'm gonna stick with that for now. But when I'm looking at it, I probably should, the Wyoming game probably should be a flip right now. That still put them at nine and three. The Boise game is at home, a little more reasonable, just because that's home, and I think their offense is better than Boise State's. But I, I should probably be more in line to eight or nine wins than ten. But I don't see why they can't win ten either, right? Do you, I, it, I think you would agree that they can get to maybe ten wins. Yeah. 
It's just I think, uh, I think the I think the only game on the schedule that is like they're absolutely not going to win is Oregon. Everything yeah. else is up for grabs. Yeah, I could see that's a possibility. Totally, they all these games are winnable. I think Oregon will be closer than twenty points. But so here's a question for you. Go for it. If they go eleven and one and their only mm-hmm. loss is to Oregon, yeah, how real are they in the conversation for near six bull spot? Hundred percent real. Why wouldn't they? Do you think that so you think but they would so like let's assume then that they go to the Mountain West title game. Let's say they win. Uh, let's say they win a, a rematch with a one loss Boise. Okay. So like we're, uh, like if you recall, I had Boise State going nine and three. I had them going seven and one in conference. Well, let's say it's a team that with their own, their only losses to Oklahoma State. Let's say. For so, who are you referring to? Boise State. Yeah. So okay. if Fresno, if one loss Fresno State beats one loss Boise State in the Mountain West Championship game, like yeah, like, what, what, like who who out there or what kind of scenario that, out there beats that? So like an unbeaten team from the American essentially. Um, yeah, Cincinnati is going to be top 10 when the season begins, I'm assuming. Um, so I'm trying to look at Cincinnati's schedule real quick. I'm trying to pull it up here. Do you have it handy in front of you? or uh, I can find it real quick. I'm, I'm just, my, my using FE schedule is not working very well. I clicked on the whole schedule for the American. But, okay, Cincinnati. Miami, they play Ohio, Murray State, at Indiana, at Notre Dame, Temple, UCF, at Navy, at Tulane, Tulsa at USF, SMU at East Carolina. Okay. So would would one loss Fresno State be better than one loss Cincinnati out of the American? What's what's the one loss to Notre Dame? Notre Dame. Indiana. I would want we, to say we won't yes, dwell on this too deeply, but I think that yeah, gives you a sense of like yeah. you know, we we talk I've talked about the 99th percentile for mm-hmm. for a lot of the teams in these podcasts. That's the 99th percentile for Fresno State is, you know, the offensive line issues don't, you know, they, they evaporate. You know, the defense is able to, you know, shore up the big plays and, and they play, you know, average to above average. You know, Jake Hainer's for, you know, the offensive player of the year or Ronnie Rivers. You know, Jalen Cropper goes off for like 1,200 yards and, and 10 touchdowns or something like that. And the team as a whole is basically the best team we've seen since 2018. And, and plays like a top twenty team, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I think who they play. I think I think your scenario: Boise's eleven to one, and Fresno's eleven to one. Like I'm trying to think who would be. I guess UCF is kind of there, but they were three and three last year. Mm-hmm. And they get if they go, say they do have just one loss to Notre Dame. I think Oregon's better than Notre Dame this year, so that's there. Boise have one loss will be. They'll both be ranked though. If they're both eleven to one. They'll both be like top sixteen teams, I'm guessing, right? I think they'll both be the top twenty five teams. I think top twenty, whatever. We'll, we'll but see. like but UCF, their schedule's not they go they have to go to SMU, they go to Cincinnati. But I'm trying to think that's not gonna be a one loss team. I think I don't know. It's it's close. I think I'd get Cincinnati the edge just because they'd be ranked already higher, you know how polls are dumb, you're already ranked higher, you're ranked higher, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean we we've talked about other teams in these preview podcasts where it's like you know, it is somewhat rigorous, you know, in, either in non-conference play or in conference play. But I think you know, Fresno State, maybe more than any of them that we've talked about so far, if they reach that ceiling, like, nobody can say that they didn't earn it. Totally, yeah. Especially that West Division, yeah, it's 
It's close. Like I could say the same thing. Boise State. If we were to flip it, say Boise State and Fresno were the same scenario, like you said, and Fresno and Boise wins. I'd probably be the same thing. It would be very difficult just because Cincinnati's already going to be ranked higher. But yeah. also could determine too. I guess they'd both be early season losses. They'd both get dinged a bit. But I don't know. It's it's going to be close. That's going to be interesting to see this year because Cincinnati will have the early edge because they're going to be ranked higher, even though the playoff poll doesn't start till later or whatever you want to call it. It's it's here's what I'm gonna say. It's gonna be fun to watch this team. Out of all yes. the like all the teams we've done, like the offense, Fresno's offense is one of the more exciting. There's a lot of good exciting offenses, but what they can do with Ronnie Rivers and throwing to five different guys, exciting. Nevada's exciting throwing up Romeo. Dead. Boise State will be exciting with Kalisha Kier and George Lonnie running the ball. Wyoming could be interesting with Xavier Valley and who knows which, if they open up a passing game with Sean Chambers. Like how is that gonna look? Mm-hmm. CSU has players, but what will Steve Adazio actually do with the talent? He has Dante Wright. And others like Trey McBride. I don't know, but Fresno State—they're not finishing fifth. Sorry, Phil. Still, you're wrong. I mean, I don't think so. I—I I don't see the like Nevada. I even know how I have my projection here, but I'm still going with what I say. But are they better than Hawaii? Yeah. For San Jose State, yeah. San Diego State, yeah. Is it close? Yes, as well. But when we look at all those differences, what the teams have more combined, like we look at or cumulative, I guess. Mm-hmm. Fresno has coaches back. They have all this talent back. Hawaii lost coaches. Hawaii's um, offense was was struggling early on. You have San Diego State, Greg Bill healthy, no quarterback play. Fresno has a more consistent base coming back, and that's going to help them a lot, even though the defense and offensive line had some issues last year. I guess we'll have to stay tuned. Anything else to add about your Bulldogs? No, I think we're good. All right, well, that's it for this show, MWR.com. Check it out there. Top 50 countdown coming soon. Early previews coming out. And keep following our podcast. We're about halfway through the offseason. We'll get to more stuff. We'll have uh, just all sorts of stuff going on. So get ready for the season. We're here, Matt. We're almost there. We're past 4th of July. We are, what, three weeks from fall fall camp starting just about? Give or take, yeah. Give or take. Early August. So week zero game. So, yeah, we'll be back next time to preview a team you guys choose on Twitter. And, again, our Twitter is MWCWire. So check out to vote to win. We decided to post a poll, so we'll see you next time, everybody.